from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably saw in the news this week that uh, a spot in uh, sort of eastern California, right about in the middle of the state, east to west, uh, no, north to south, I'll be with you in a moment. A spot there um, called Death Valley has broken the land heat record for this country, maybe maybe this continent. I don't know, maybe the hemisphere. Uh, 120, something like that. And, uh, of course, there, there are many interpretations that can be made of that fact. The obvious one, of course, being the whole climate change thing, but I just can't help thinking. They call it Death Valley for a reason, you know. It must have it must have been terribly hot there when they when the explorers came through. Ugh. They don't they they don't call it paradise for nothing. Um, but speaking of the the drought that is afflicting California, particularly uh, much of the West. I don't know if you know, much of the West has been, much of the Southwest has been fed for most of the last century in terms of water by the Colorado River. And there's a compact that was reached in the late 1920s that documented the divvying up of the shares of that water from the Colorado River among... California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, and Mexico. Not called Old Mexico for obvious reasons. And um, for the last decade, the river has not produced enough water to live up to that compact. There's not enough water in the river to serve California, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and the other place, Mexico. And I'm speaking to you today, as often, from New Orleans, Louisiana, which is at the opposite end of the H2O spectrum. We get so much water here. We we really don't know. We do know what to do with it, but we don't know what to do with it in the sense that we know what to do with it is to get rid of it, pump it out. Uh, As a matter of fact, the canals into which we pump rainwater were the very the very things that uh, whose walls failed uh, resulting in much of the flooding in 2005 and those walls have never been fixed yeah we're we're good but my point being not that not to hit that horse again but to say we got what the west needs now, you may have seen a movie called Chinatown, which told the slightly fictionalized story of how Southern California basically went up and, and stole water from North Central California, the Owens Valley, which is why there's a Southern California today, besides the Colorado River one. So they, they ran an aqueduct over the mountains from Northern to, Central California, to Southern California. Now, there are no mountains really, between Louisiana and Southern California, which means you wouldn't need to pump so hard to get water from here to there. 
So that's that's one point for accuracy. So the question is, we got all these billionaires going into space, like uh, Richard Branson today, dreaming of this, dreaming of the same dream. I, I want to address this question to uh, any other billionaires out there. I used to know one. But the question is, why don't you dream of building a pipeline from Louisiana to California? And then Louisiana might be able to afford vaccinating all its citizens. Hello, welcome to the show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana, where it's not that hot. Isn't that wild? I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Thank you, Rod. A massive methane plume detected earlier this year, about a month ago, over Russia. In Russia, methane plumes detect you. That plume stemmed from emergency repairs that forced the partial shutdown of a Gazprom pipeline. Gazprom is the Russian gas company, hence the name. The company took responsibility for one of the energy sector's most intense recent leaks of methane, which, as you may know, is a greenhouse gas which is much more potent than CO2 but doesn't linger as long. Tom? Linger as long. That's right. This is from Bloomberg News. Gazprom's enormous methane leak first identified in satellite data points to a worldwide problem preventing the release of that greenhouse gas 80 times the impact of CO2. The Russian gas giant said the pipeline <laughs> the pipeline repairs on June 4 released 2.7 million cubic meters, that's 1,800 metric tons, as you well know, of methane. And uh, that's, that's, that's a lot of methane. The uh, company which detected it estimated an emissions rate of 395 metric tons an hour that would make Gazprom responsible for the most severe release it is attributed to the oil and gas sector, the uh, company which reported this, way, since way back in September ni- uh, 2019. Gazprom said the gas was released after it detected a problem with its pipeline in Russia's Tatarstan region. The company said that given the urgency, it wasn't able to use a mobile compressor station to reduce the methane released by the repairs, though it claimed to still have cut 22% of potential emissions. Russia's largest largest gas company, maybe the only one, it's Russia. It's under pressure to do more to lower the methane emissions caused by its operations because countries in Europe, which is its biggest market, more closely scrutinize the climate impact of the fuel used to heat their homes and power their grids. How's your grid? How do you power your grid? The leak from Gazprom's pipeline in Tatarstan isn't the only major methane release traced to the Russian company, a uh, same company that detected that leak, detected another giant methane plume May 24. Gazprom said that resulted from two days of planned maintenance on another pipeline. Maybe they ought to stop maintaining their pipelines. That works for us. Climate change is heating Mediterranean waters 20% faster than oceans on average worldwide. That's from a uh, report by the World Wildlife Fund. It's WWF. It's either the World Wildlife Fund or it's World Wrestling Federation. I I really couldn't tell you for sure which. The rising temperatures have been uh, conducive to alien fish and algae invading the Suez Canal. And they can turn around. Countries fringing the Mediterranean need to turn at least... 30% of its waters into protected maritime areas by 2030 and rein in overfishing and pollution. 
That's the Worldwide Fund for Nature's. Oh, it's the Worldwide Fund for Nature. It's the WFN. I get it. In a report published by its German branch Tuesday and reported by Deutsche Welle. The report also calls for well-connected efforts between nations to save already depleted Mediterranean seagrass beds and coral clusters. Honey, I got you a coral cluster for Christmas. Home to many fish species and vital in stabilizing coastlines and capturing atmospheric CO2. The report warns, warns residents they face losing fishing livelihoods and Mediterranean culture, like cuisine, if biodiversity is not restored and deadly industrial impacts reduced. The Mediterranean is no longer the sea that we once knew, says the Maritime Protection Director at WWF Germany. Although it covers an area of only 1% compared to all world seas, the Mediterranean's home to 10% of all known maritime species. So let's watch out for that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's useful. Let's watch out for that. Thanks, Harry. No, don't mention it. And turning swiftly to more warm, more than a billion seashore animals may have been cooked to death during Canada's recent deadly heat wave. Canada's not sounding so good recently with the residential schools and the uh, cooking the seashore animals. This is according to a marine bi biologist, Christopher Harley, he uh, professes zoology at the University of British Columbia. He discovered thousands of dead mussels, clams, sea stars, and snails. Let's eat along the Salish Sea coastline, calculating there are likely millions more across Canada. Temperatures in western Canada soared to record highs in late June and early this month, sparking wildfires already, killing hundreds of people, primarily in British Columbia. His team recorded temperatures above 122 degrees, so what does that say about Death Valley? At certain points from, uh, amid the animals' habitats along the coast. They used infrared cameras, and the heat proved disastrous for the creatures. They uh, calculated the number of dead by the uh, canvassing of multiple coastlines, including those in West Vancouver, multiplying the number of dead animals found in the canvassed areas by the total habitat size in the sea, the uh, researcher found millions of animals had likely been cooked to death. Quote, you can fit about 2,000 mussels in an area the size of your stovetop, he told CBC. Imagine how many stovetops you could fill into Stanley Park and then how many Stanley Parks fit into the Salish Sea, he said, referring to a big park in Vancouver where I've been, and I didn't see any mussels there, so... Dateline Helsinki, Finland's northernmost Arctic Lapland region, has recorded its hottest temperature for more than a century, 92.5 Fahrenheit, during heat wave that's been afflicting the entire country of Finland for weeks. Temperature was measured this week at Finland's northernmost weather station. Only one higher historical measurement reported in Lapland, 94.5 94.5, which is Finland's home for classic rock as well. That's an interesting coincidence. A video filmed during the Barcelona Football Club's 2019 tour of Japan showed a star player. Oh, that's an apology. We'll get to those later. How did that sneak in here? 
into News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. But now, how are the bees doing? By a rather unfortunate coincidence, the largest documented pesticide die-off of bumblebees in North America killed as many as 100,000 Voznesensky bumblebees. Bombus Voznesensky to you. This happened in Oregon eight years ago during National Pollinator Week. The kill portends a more troubling long-term threat to bees from the insecticide Dinutefuran, part of the family of neonicotinoids, which I hadn't heard of before, that, that particular one. This is according to a retrospective analysis of the bee kill published last month by the journal Environmental Entomology. Our study, the report says, underscores the lethal impact of the neonicotinoid pesticide dinotefurin on pollinating insect populations in a suburban environment. Yes, it's happening in the burbs. By extrapolating the number of dead bees photographed in a given area, the researchers estimated the death toll was probably twice the original figure of 50,000. DNA fingerprinting of the bees... I don't think they really mean fingerprinting. I think that's a metaphor. Employed by the scientists indicated they belong to almost 600 colonies whose well-being may have been greatly harmed as a result. Even if exposure to the pesticide isn't lethal, bees that take a hit from it can suffer biological, behavioral damage that reduces the reproductive levels of their colony. I thought we're anti-colony now. What happened? The incident occurred at a Target store parking lot Yes, science happens even at a Target store parking lot, ladies and gentlemen. This uh, involved 55 blooming little-leaf linden trees. Tom, little-leaf linden trees. Boy, you're on it. Known for abundant flowering that draws bees. They were treated with the pesticide to combat aphids. Another touch of irony about this incident was that the aphids posed no threat to the trees. But the bees didn't know that. They just happened to do it where there were a lot of bees, said chairman of entomology at Ohio State. I'm sorry, the Ohio State University, and one of the authors of the new analysis. The Oregon Agriculture Department came down hard on the application of the neonicotinoid after ruling the pesticide was improperly applied. The bees could have told them that. And now, ladies and gentlemen. America's Longest War. You uh, heard last week on this program, among other places, that we skedaddled out of, we, the United States, skedaddled out of Bagram Air Force Base, our headquarters in Afghanistan, the place where we did some some torturing, too. That was left out of most of the news story about Bagram's closing. America's first death resulting from our torture occurred at Bagram. Well, the AP reports this week the U.S. left Bagram by shutting off the electricity and slipping away in the night without notifying the base's new Afghan commander. He discovered the Americans' departure two hours after they left. Oh, by the way, we're gone. See ya. Afghanistan's army showed off the sprawling air base this week providing a rare first glimpse of what had been our headquarters during our longest war. By Friday, the U.S. completely vacated 
its biggest airfield in the country. We heard some rumor that the Americans had left Bagram. And finally, by 7 o'clock in the morning, we understood it was confirmed they'd already left, said Bagram's new commander, General, General Asadullah Kohistani. Thank you. U.S. military spokesman Colonel Sonny Leggett <laughs> did, he didn't address the specific complaints of many Afghan soldiers who inherited the abandoned airfield. He's just referred to a statement last week saying the handover of many bases there had been in the process soon after President Biden's mid-April announcement of the end of America's longest war. Before the Afghan army could take control of the airfield, about an hour's drive from Kabul, it was invaded by a small army of looters. Stuff happens. They ransacked barrack after barrack and rummaged through giant storage tents before being evicted. At first, we thought maybe they were Taliban, said an Afghan soldier. We left a lot of stuff there, equipment the Taliban might want. The uh, Afghan soldier insisted the Afghan National Security and Defense Force could hold on to the heavily fortified base, despite a string of Taliban wins on the battlefield, where it counts. And the airfield also includes that prison where we did the torturing. There are still 5,000 prisoners in there, maybe. Many of them allegedly Taliban. Tom? Allegedly Taliban. You're working hard this week, man. As of last week, most NATO soldiers had already quietly left. The last U.S. soldiers are likely to remain until an agreement to protect the airport, which is supposed to be done by... Turkey. They got their hand in this. And in northern Afghanistan, district after district has fallen to the Taliban in just the last few days. While Afghan soldiers flee across the northern border into Tajikistan. Man, if you've got to flee into Tajikistan, you know things aren't really good, aren't really cooking. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the state of America's longest war. And it sounds so much like two other American wars. It's freaky, isn't it? Maybe the best adjective to use. About all that, and now... We've got the ultra-modern knack Of getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack Dateline New Orleans. Yeah, we make news. A report released this week by the Center for Biological Diversity details how pervasive and damaging offshore fracking and other oil and gas extraction methods have become in our neighboring Gulf of Mexico just since 2010. Based on analyzing federal records obtained through Freedom of Information Act requests, the report documents more than 3,000 instances of offshore fracking, offshore fracking, 700 cases of acidizing offshore wells, at least 66 million gallons of fracking waste dumped into the Gulf of Mexico, where we get our fish. Chemicals used in offshore fracking and acidizing pose significant health risks 
to humans and wildlife, which suggests that maybe humans are wildlife. The uh, risks include cancer, reproductive harm, neurotoxicity, and even death. <laughs> the, even death. The increasing use of fracking could threaten the tourism and fishing industries, says the Center. Offshore fracking has become a nearly daily occurrence over the past decade. As you know, fracking blasts water and chemicals into the sea floor, in this case, to fracture rock and release oil and gas. Acidizing injects hydrofluoric or hydrochloric acid. Good evening, hydrofluoric or hydrochloric? To, each, to etch pathways in rock walls and release the fossil fuels. EPA allows companies to discharge unlimited amounts of fracking wastewater into the Gulf. It's just the Gulf. An industry report to the EPA found that each frack releases 21,000 gallons of fracking waste, including biocides. You can figure out that word means things that kill life. Polymers and solvents go into the Gulf. They kill aquatic species in laboratory tests that simulate concentrations of the substances found near offshore platforms. The federal government approves all this, despite the known health risks of many fracking chemicals and the lack of knowledge about many others. So if the federal government approves it, it's got to be okay. The Center of Biological Diversity is a... uh, volunteer organization, which seems to care about that stuff, to which one can only say, what the frack? A diamond necklace played the pawn, and a handsome drum to long walk to a handsome man in the town. A blind glass aristocracy, back to the opera glass you see. The glass 
Jesus raised a fire and rose the fullness of the wine, the dim last toasting. While at port ado, a choke of grief, hard heart, and I beyond belief, a broken man too tough to cry. Surf's up, board a tidal wave. Come about hard and join the young and often spring you gave. I heard the word, wonderful thing, a children's song. From New Orleans, you're welcome for the water. This is uh, Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. It's all too close. And Japanese Olympic sponsors are canceling or scaling back booths and promotional events tied to the Tokyo 20 Games. Frustrated by very last-minute decisions by organizers and a delay on whether spectators would, be, spectators would be allowed. Note to sponsors, they won't. More than a dozen companies, including Canon, Tokyo Marine, and Nichita Fire Insurance, highlight the delicate situation for sponsors who've tied themselves to a games hit by the pandemic. Some 60 Japanese companies paid a record of more than $3 billion for sponsorship rights and then another $200 million to extend their contracts after the games were delayed. Unlike worldwide sponsors with multi-year deals, Domestic sponsors are only involved in the Tokyo Games. They've been frustrated by what one of the sources described as impromptu decisions by organizers. Particularly the one about ultimately banning spectators from inside Japan. We're finally making decisions on our own without waiting for the organizer's cue, said one source. It's damned if you do and damned if you don't situation for sponsors said. Tokyo's organizing committee couldn't immediately reply 
to a request for comment. Camera maker Canon has scrap plans to set up promotional booths along the Olympic promenade. Two people familiar with the matter said that area was supposed to feature cool spots, rest areas, and dining spaces. Organizers have urged spectators, of course, to travel direct, well, to not travel there at all. So no, no cool spot needed. The uptick in infections in Japan forced the Tokyo city government to pull the Olympic torch relay off the streets of the capital, allowing it to run only on remote islands off the Tokyo coast. It's unclear, according to the Associated Press, how the torch will get from the islands to the stadium for the opening ceremony. And having banned spectators from the events in Tokyo, now two more nearby prefectures outside the immediate Tokyo area have decided to bar fans from attending Olympic events in their vicinities. The venues in Tokyo make up the overwhelming majority. But Fukushima Prefecture, you may have heard of it, has decided to hold its baseball and softball events without spectators. It has been joined by the northern prefecture of Hokkaido. They're going to hold soccer games without fans at the Sapporo Dome. How can you not have fans at the Sapporo Dome? Fukushima was the early focus of the Olympics, trying to shine a light on recovery efforts in that area. They're not going to show that anymore. But there's still going to be an Olympics? It's a movement, and we need one. Every day. It's uh, worth so much money to uh, so few people to keep having those games. So I hear. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's, um, it's a week where it's becoming more and more clear that the battle inside the Republican Party over whether to uh, continue to be faithful to the former president, whatever, whoever that was, um, that battle is over. Uh, a survey by the Washington Post this week of likely candidates for Congress next year, uh, Republicans, shows that uh, the vast majority of them are uh, kind of cleaving to the mysterious and mystical theory of the 2020 election promulgated by the former president. And uh, he's continuing to hold rallies as if he's running for something or just wants to be known, wants to be known that he's about and out and about. Um, and reports, well, now there's a, a flood of books about to come out about uh, various aspects of the previous administration. And uh, reporters are leaking tasty details from those books 
as their publication dates approach. Uh, there was a quote this week from the former president that uh, he regrets talking to those authors because they're they're fake, you know, the same, the usual thing. And he, he didn't remember that he thought that until he talked to them, and then he remembered it again. But he wanted to talk to them, or he wouldn't have. And uh, one, he's moved, as one can if one's a billionaire, out of Florida for the summer. But if you're a billionaire, would you move to New Jersey for the summer? Well, he did. He moved to, the, I'm sorry, New Jersey. He moved to his golf course at Bedminster, which is where he's summering this year. And one can only imagine what's going on there. This week, for the first time, planning starts for the re-presidency. And for the businessman turned former chief executive, the planning, like everything else, starts at home. Or at least at the New Jersey Country Club. Melania. The greens are looking very well groomed. What can I do? Otherwise the members complain. I was being complimentary. Yeah, Weiselberger was bitching about it. <laughs> You look dynamite. Dynamite is good. So look, I need your help. <laughs> what else is new? This is for real. We're just about almost less than a month away. Sorry, darling. I really haven't been paying attention. A month away from what? Jesus, Melania. Sometimes I really do think you really don't care. A month away from my reinstatement. We're back in the White House. Darling, you're not serious. I'm more serious than a heart attack. And nobody around here seems to get it. Well, it's a golf course. They not do. those people, my people. Hmm. Jason is screwing around with a new social network like that's a thing. Ivanka and Jared, thank God, are out of here trying to pretend they never were here. So, I need you. How can I possibly help you with something that isn't really going to... Darling... And I mean that very strongly. Mm -hmm. My reinstatement isn't going to re-inaugurate itself. And you're so great at planning this party crap. Donald, I can't possibly plan a re-inauguration. I wouldn't know where to start. Start with the last one. There's got to be an invite list and a catering plan. Somebody's got to order the ferns. Me, I'm busy with these stupid book interviews with these low-life authors. Also, I'm writing the fundraising letter for the event. Nobody else seems to hit the right tone. Yes, and I've got my hands full of trying to fund a summer camp for Baron that doesn't have a mask mandate. He really is becoming his father's son. Somebody's got to book the military bands. They're great, and they can't turn you down. It's the law or something. We should talk about guest speakers. Matt Gates wants to go last. This is your task for this week. Honey, I did tell you I'm doing my you-do-you self-empowerment seminars this month. It's crucial to my getting my life coach license. Melania, this is your task. To put it in words of one syllable, I'm not asking. I'm telling. So, can you do it? As long as it helps your reinstatement, I have to say yes. Don't I? 
My re-answer would be... Absolutely. Mr. Still President, I brought you some of my new slippers. Your feet have never been more comfortable, or your money back. But because you're not paying, the refund doesn't really apply. Mike, never have I needed a MyPillow guy more. Oh, that's God's way, sir. Plus, now with a free bath mat. What else do you need? I just think, to be classy, a re-inauguration needs a, a whole new level of comfort. And that's what I thought of you. <laughs> also, you were at my rally last night. Yeah, I sure was. Sold a ton of gift cards. What a blessing. Sounds like what you need for your ceremony is about 500 My Comfy Butt folding chairs. See, that's why I turned to you. You always seem to know what I need before I know it, although to tell you the truth, the White House does, does have a hell of a lot of chairs. Better to be on the safe side, sir. These monsters would think nothing of locking the storage facility, if not blowing it up. And then, and then where are you? With distinguished guests standing up, that's just a gift to the fake news. It's a war, isn't it, Mike? Yes, sir. I'm afraid I have to be the one that's uh, delighted to tell you that it is. Speaking of which, where are the boys? We could uh, use them in this fight. The very least to truck in the chairs. Bad coordination. The reinauguration committee scheduled the same week they're on their annual trip to Africa. They can't cancel one year? I mean, this is so important to the future of this country. Uh, apparently, they got a list a mile long of people who prepaid for elephant tails. You know, I'm starting to wonder for the first time if I'm really their father. My pillow god, why? They're insisting they can't disappoint their customers. <laughs> so, Mike, these really are comfortable chairs. This thing might last a couple of hours. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene alone talks a blue freaking streak. And the people won't want to get up and leave at the end. That's how comfortable. Mike, I never use this word. But that sounds dynamite. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make being president great again. Now, the golf course is his boardroom. The Mar Apprentice, the Bedminster days. More balls, more holes. Now news of the godly. A growing number of ministers, missionaries... Christian workers, abuse victims, and victims' advocates are publicly objecting to what? To the non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality clauses used by major religious organizations. They're just like Trump. They say the legal holds, tools sorry, were designed to protect tech industry trade secrets while they're now widely misused to conceal abuse preserve secrets, and protect powerful reputations in religious organizations without regard for the human cost. On Wednesday, an international group of them launched a campaign, according to Christianity Today, to end, quote, the misuse of nondisclosure agreements, unquote. It's time to set people free, said Lee Fernie, one of the organizers, a British expat who lives in Malawi, finding children from Madonna to... No! And works to support churches there. Fernie played a key role in exposing the sexual abuse of evangelical Anglican leader Jonathan Fletcher has become an advocate for abuse survivors. In some ways, an NDA can look reasonable, he says, but 
find for me the perfect NDA, and it's still not perfect. There's no transparency, no accountability. You can't track them or how they're used, and they're binding the conscience for the future, saying I can't change my mind regardless of the situation. Non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality clauses are often quite expansive. One reviewed by Christianity Today included the names of anyone the person had ever worked with in the parachurch organization. There's a new one, a parachurch. Or any information that could be deemed damaging or disparaging, and any information regarding ministries. Most NDAs include prohibitions against disclosing the non-disclosure agreement itself, cloaking the secrecy in secrecy. And a Catholic priest in Canada is speaking out against his own church, saying he's ashamed it used a legal loophole to escape its $25 million promise to residential school survivors. Those are those residential schools where they found all those unmarked graves in the last few weeks that we've talked about here. Quote, it's scandalous, really shameful, unquote, Saskatoon priest André Polievre. It was a loophole. It might be legal, but it's not ethical. One of the Catholic Church's promises in a landmark 2005 Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, yeah, they called them Indians, was to give its best efforts at fundraising $25 million for survivors. After a decade, more than $21 million of that remained unpaid. All other churches involved in the settlement, United, Ang- uh, sorry, yes, United, Anglican, and Presbyterian, paid their full shares without incident. Several years after the settlement, the federal Canadian government asked the church to pay. The church's legal team insist- instead went to court and pointed to the best efforts clause, saying the church had tried its best. On July 15, 2015, a judge agreed and absolve the church of its legal obligations. But that's Canada, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up moments from now, the Apologies of the Week here on the show.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Oh, are you tired of this story yet? ESPN broadcaster Rachel Nichols offered an apology over the contents of a leaked phone call. Comments on that call she made about ESPN colleague Maria Taylor. That uh, came out in the New York Times. Nichols was bitching. No, Nichols was complaining about not being able to uh, fulfill her contractual commitment to be a sideline reporter on the NBA Finals on ESPN on a Monday afternoon version of her afternoon show. She says, so the first thing they teach in journalism school is don't be the story, and I don't plan to break that rule today or distract from a fantastic finals. But I also don't want to let this moment pass without saying how much I respect, how much I value our colleagues here at ESPN, how deeply, deeply sorry I am for disappointing those I hurt, particularly Maria Taylor, the female sideline reporter who replaced her, and how grateful I am to be part of this outstanding team. In case you didn't know, Nichols is white, Taylor is not. Kathy Dodd offered an apology to Heather Dubrow. These are two stars of the real housewives of Orange County. It's all in quotes. She uh, offered the apology after receiving a letter from her former co-star's attorney. I got this letter from an attorney for the Dubrow family reminding me I made a statement that may sound like truth when in fact it was a joke and for that I'm offering my sincere apology. The former reality star said via Instagram. She previously had said she caught COVID-19 from Heather's son, Nicholas. However, she revealed on Tuesday she didn't mean her statement to be taken seriously. I don't think any of her should be taken seriously, but that's just me. Deadline Tehran, Iran's outgoing president, offered a rare apology this week for the country's most severe summer power outages in recent memory. Blackouts are crippling businesses and darkening homes for hours a day. Wow, sounds like Iraq. In a government meeting broadcast live on state TV, President Hassan Rouhani acknowledged that chronic power outages over the past week have caused Iranians, quote, plenty of pain and expressed contrition in an unusually personal speech. Quote, my apologies to dear people who have faced these problems and pain. The rolling outages have given Rouhani relative moderate, as you know, one of the last domestic headaches of his presidency, according to ABC News. Footage on social media shared widely show popular anger over the blackouts breaking into the open, swelling into scattered protests at local electricity offices. The longtime white advisor to black NBA superstar LeBron James has been caught on tape telling that white ESPN reporter, that very same one, Ms. Nichols, quote, I'm exhausted between Me Too and Black Lives Matter. I got nothing left, unquote. These, uh, these comments came during that phone call, which was recorded without apparently anybody's knowledge. And... Uh, recorded at ESPN headquarters and then leaked to the New York Times. Men, uh, they 
advisor to James, Adam Mendelson, apologized for those specific comments in an email to CNBC. I made a stupid, careless comment rooted in privilege. I'm sincerely sorry, said Mendelson. I shouldn't have said it or even thought it. I work to support these movements and know that the people affected by these issues never get to be exhausted or have nothing left. I have to continue to check my privilege and work to be a better ally. Check your bucket while you're at it, buddy. Uh, That is Adam Mendelssohn, ladies and gentlemen. Should go write symphonies. Henry Winkler is apologizing for a controversial tweet. This gets him back in the news in which he suggested that a catastrophic event is the only thing that could possibly reunite the politically divided U.S. He tweeted, We are so divided as a country, only a cataclysmic event that makes us depend on one another again can bring us back together, unquote. And he capitalized, so, and event. That's, that's catching on. That's Trumpian. He later apologized for not being clear in his first message. To be clear, I'm not wishing for devastation. My hope is for... Four, 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 he said, our country to reunite again. (laughs) Reunite again. I am so sorry for not being clear, unquote. No kidding. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It so very much is. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. It returns inevitably next week, same time, same radio station, and on your audio device of choice, whenever the hell you want it. And it'd be just like California getting water from Louisiana, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. And my thanks to the studio audience for lending some great vibes. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, You've been resisting for far too long. And the playlist of the music heard here, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer.
nerve of a bass player talking over a bass solo. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.